People think that your personal brand is like, look at me, but it's not actually, it's like, look what I can do for you. Instead of looking at it as like, oh, I don't want to be the front of shop. Think about how it's going to impact your team and like mm -hmm. make their life easier of your building your personal brand because the opportunities the business and they will receive as a result of you being visible is exponential. Welcome back to the Soap Podcast where we speak to inspiring individuals about their entrepreneurial journeys, talking through the highs, the lows and everything in between. Today we are joined by social media guru Emilia Sordell who is the founder of personal branding business Clout. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So just kind of taking us back to the beginning, I saw somewhere that like, um, you know, you quit your job on a Friday and then already secured two clients on a Thursday. I wish I could say I just saw a gap in the market and was like, personal brands and think I'm going to go and start an agent agency in that. But it wasn't as intelligent as that, unfortunately. I started building my personal brand when I was a recruiter because I worked out pretty quickly that I could generate more money through building my personal brand, putting content out than I could through just making 100 calls a day because that's what you're, you need to do as a recruiter in order to get any kind of business. Um, and as a result of doing all that, I was then promoted into being a marketing manager for that agency because I was generating so much business through the content I was putting out there. And then because of the content I was putting out there, I then got headhunted to go to a um, private equity company who invests in recruitment companies. So went and did the personal branding thing for their portfolio companies. What was it called then? Obviously, personal branding wasn't... It wasn't really a thing. It was just like you were just posting on social media. Yeah. I think Gary Vee had already started talking about personal brand as a thing obviously he didn't invent the concept but he definitely pioneered it about two years three years before but like no one had really kind of like defined what that was in a professional sense it was more kind of for coaches and for influencers and all that type of thing so it wasn't an intentional personal brand I was building but it very much was it's much easier to market me as a person than it is to market the business I'm working for mm -hmm. so as the marketing manager it makes the most sense for me to push myself out there and the recruiters that I'm employed to market mm. um, as a way to generate more business I think that was the a shortcut route or the laziest route of doing rather than doing 100 calls. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, I, I have said many, many times I'm a lazy marketer. Like if you, if you give me a goal, say like it's like Z and I'm A, I will find the quickest, most efficient way to get to Z because why on earth am I going to go through mm. all unnecessary steps in order to achieve the same outcome? Makes no sense to me. But I, I think it's important to define that like it's not lazy in the sense of you didn't work hard and you didn't put effort in. It's lazy in the sense of you can do it the hard way, you can do it the less hard way. And I think building a personal brand is the less hard way to achieve a much better outcome, mainly because it attracts opportunities to you instead of you having to go and convince opportunities to work with you. Inherently, that's quite like what lazy people are. You know, yeah. They don't want to be doing things every single time repetitively. They want to find the quickest way to solve a problem and then don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I also think there's something in that being an entrepreneur and like running a business, right? You're very time poor. And I appreciate when I say that I am someone sitting here running a business, but when I was back then, I wasn't running a business. I was employed, but I still had that same mindset of, I have a limited amount of time to execute what I need to execute. It seems much more efficient to get people to come to me top of funnel than it is for me to go out and try and convince them to get in my funnel. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely lazy, but it's also really smart. You're now in private equity, you're now doing this kind of thing. Yes, thing called 11 Investments. LinkedIn, yeah. you know, you're, you're yeah. telling them about this social media thing where it's like personal branding. How much did you find that like a pushing a stone uphill or was it kind of really easy was the door open and then also like on the back of that from the personal brand perspective how much beneficial did you find that being a woman versus versus not there was quite a lot of pushback internally initially it's interesting because i got headhunted as a result of my personal brand just for context to go to this private equity company right so they saw content i was posting it was like we want her 
And they actually created a role for me. Like I interviewed for head of marketing role. They gave that to someone else and they just hired me and filled out a role. Like I literally did whatever they yeah. want. They brought me on because they wanted my expertise in the business. But then when I started implementing the expertise they wanted in the business, I was like, oh, wait, you can't post that. Oh, wait, you can't post that. And so there was like a real unlearning that had to happen on their mm-hmm. behalf of you can be personal and professional at the same time. Mm-hmm. And actually when you're working in professional services, like an agency or recruitment agency or accountancy or anything where you're selling a service, even if it's a software as a service, right? You're selling a service to someone. People don't give a shit about the company you come from. They care about the person selling it to them. And if you can convince people before they even walk in the door that you're the right person for them, you become the choice in the industry, not just a choice in the industry, mm-hmm. which in a, in a industry like um, recruitment is obviously incredibly competitive. I mean, you know, <laughs> probably better than I now, but 45, 50,000 agencies in the UK alone, marketing agencies, same thing, probably more. So when you're building a personal brand in that type of in that type of industry, the capacity for you to outperform your competitors becomes incredibly higher because you're the one attracting all the opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the posts you were po- posting that were getting rejected. Yeah. What were oh, they? I was just posting them anyway. Yeah, yeah but what were they? What kind they were, of, what, just like talking about things like my kids and like what I was do- like just stuff yeah, that people personal. would go, well, that doesn't belong on LinkedIn. Yeah. Why? Why doesn't it belong on LinkedIn? Mm. It wins me business. One of my best performing posts ever in terms of business was me talking about my divorce. It got 8 million views. Okay, this is going to make me sound really, really strategic because I am, but that doesn't take away the authenticity of that piece of content, right? So for those of you that didn't see this piece, this post, I basically said, I'm going through divorce. And the natural reaction for people when I say that is, oh, I'm so sorry. And I was like, well, I'm not sorry. I had a great marriage this person for 10 years. I had two children out of it. I married an awesome guy. I didn't work out. That's fine. And the views on that and the likes on that were huge. But the DMs I got, which I knew I'd get, which is why I posted it, were from typically middle-class men who were running businesses and had £5,000 a month to pay for personal branding services. Mm. Why? So, why? Why was that the demographic? That's typically our demographic, right? Yeah. Like We can get into the, the female business thing in a second, but generally speaking, my audience are male because that is the type of person typically running a business in the UK. If you just look at statistics, yeah. Yeah. they're typically middle-aged because they have to get to that point to have built a business big enough to afford our services. Um, And also when you're talking about personal things, regardless of your gender, you're creating a human connection with people. And there's a lot of people in that age bracket, regardless of their gender and regardless of where they're living or their social, economical, et cetera, who are going through divorces right now. So when I posted that, it wasn't just like, I'm feeling sad today. It was like, no, actually, this is what's happening in my life. And I could share it or I couldn't share it. If I don't share it, that's fine. But if I do, I might actually resonate with the people that I'm trying to resonate with and perhaps get some awareness about who I am as a person to those people. And it worked. But as a woman with building my personal brand, it's interesting. I'm kind of going through this weird growth period at the minute where up and until this point, I have felt like I needed to be a lot more aggressive, a lot more shouty, a lot more... um, what I would describe stereotypically as emulating male characteristics, both in business and particularly in my communication online through my personal brand, in order to cut through the noise. And now I'm at this position where I've cut through the noise and I'm kind of sitting there like whatever. I'm looking back at some of my content and I'm going, that isn't me anymore. Like Mm. as a person, both in romantic relationships and friendships and with my team and my kids and, and whatever outside of the bubble of social media, I'm quite like, I wouldn't say soft, but definitely nurturing and definitely yeah. supportive and definitely like tough love. Like I'll tell you what you need to be told, but I'll give you a hug at the end of it. Be like, come on, let's, like, let's go and get it. And so I was looking back at my content um, actually quite recently and I was like, wow, like I've come so far. And I do wonder whether a lot of 
my communication style previously was because I because of being a woman, I felt like I had to be like that. What's what's really funny is like I looked at personal branding thing when I first got into it maybe like three years ago, and I said one thing. I said this space is designed for women. women. Yeah. Because I think women admire women and men admire men admire women. And I think with men you don't have that same men compete with men. Yeah. And women don't admire men. Yeah. And so I was like looking at personal branding, same as probably from the influencer social media space, is that like women have become predominantly the influencers. Yeah. There's not many male influencers out yeah. there. I said personal branding and especially for business is a platform that women are going to thrive in. I certainly, I will be the first to tell you, it's definitely given me an advantage being yeah. a woman in what I do, for mm-hmm. sure. Because I look different to everyone, first of all. Like, in my space, there are a handful of agencies. Like, sure, there's coaches and stuff. There's plenty of women coaches. But there's only a handful of agencies that do just what we do. Most of them are men. So I automatically look mm-hmm. different, sound different, have but different things to say. Take it beyond agencies, just take it as a CEO founder. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's not many. Even broader. I mean, there's not many blonde Barbie-looking women <laughs> on online. Period. Who are in that in yeah. that role? Um, so yeah, and so I'm definitely leaning more into that kind of femininity and like, okay, I am a woman and I am going to operate like a woman. I don't need to mirror the characteristics yeah. that I previously mirrored before. And so it's quite interesting. So I think that the lesson there is like, just take a look at who you are before you post stuff online. Like, if it doesn't feel authentic, don't don't do yeah. it. And just going back into your target audience there. Would you say there's like quite a big misconception of personal branding? Because obviously people like bit founders are very much into marketing their businesses, but often it kind of gets forgotten about to actually push themselves. Yeah. So what's kind of like the biggest kind of misconceptions that founders are missing by not tapping into personal branding? People think that your personal brand is like, look at me, but it's not actually. It's like, look what I can do for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole piece about like that, if we use the context of that particular post, yeah, I was talking about what was happening in my life and, you know, going through a divorce and all that kind of stuff. And that might seem really personal to some people, but that's actually how I communicate and how I form relationships with my clients in real life. Mm. So it makes sense for me to take that online because I can create relationships in, with an infinite number of people online than I can by just having one-to-one relationship, mm. um, kind of building exercise like phone calls or meetings or like whatever it might be. So I think the main thing for founders to understand is like, you building your personal brand isn't about you. It's about yeah. what your personal brand can do for your business, but more importantly, what it can do for your employees. Like my team, we've grown so quickly because people want to work with us at the beginning, predominantly because it was me running the business. That's then created opportunities for my team mm. to be promoted and like move into this and do more that, giving us more revenue to, to invest in certain things. And so instead of looking at it as like, a, oh, I don't want to be the front of shop, think about how it's going to impact your team and like mm-hmm. make their life easier of your building your personal brand because the opportunities the business and they will receive as a result of you being visible is exponential. And also just lastly, before I forget, so I definitely will forget, you will notice that when you're out there and talking about the business and talking about your team, and like I posted something today being like, I, my team are amazing, like running a business is hard, but it would be impossible without them. You kind of engage them in mm. you as a leader because it's all good and well, you sitting in the Slack channel being like, shout out, you know, Dom and like, whatever, like you guys are doing a great job. It's a completely different thing if you're then going out there being, my team is fucking sick and here's why. And it makes them feel heard, feel, it makes them feel like they're doing meaningful work and, and it makes them feel noticed. And you'd be amazed how engaged your team become internally when you're externally talking about what you're doing. So like an interesting piece there, obviously, you know, coming from your recruiter background is the risk of people being poached. Yeah. And also the, gr- <laughs> the growth that your employees can take in terms of, you know, putting their own personal brand out there and, you know, being really positive about the company, but also helping you win your business by promoting the personal brand. 
people go and talk a lot about businesses being families, mm-hmm. you know, and founders a lot of the time speak about businesses being families. And obviously, like, we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. But how do you balance that, like, knowledge that you know that if your employees have got really strong personal brands, that that's going to be great for you yep. versus the risk that they're building it for themselves? I mean, they are building it for themselves, surely. Like, it's something they take with them. I think if you're a naive employer enough to think that your team is going to be with you forever, they're going to leave anyway. Because you're putting so, like, I'm not saying don't invest in your team. I'm not saying don't trust your team. I'm not saying any of those things. But just be realistic. Like, they're going to be with you for a period of time. You're going to outgrow them or they're going to outgrow you and they're going to move on. And that's life, right? How amazing could it be if you're an employer that invests in someone and and gets the most out of them while they're with you than just, like, kind of sits there like these are my employees, like I'm going to fox guard them. And the thing that I always say to people, and it's interesting you brought this up because I get this all the time, right? Particularly from senior leadership of like, well, why should we invest in people's rent? What if they just leave? I'm like, if you're worried about people putting themselves out there, leaving as a result, that says more about your leadership and more about yeah. your mindset and more about the people that you're hiring than it does about them being visible. If you can be poached simply because you're getting lots more opportunities into your DMs, that says that you don't love your job enough. That says that your employer isn't good enough. That says you're not getting paid enough or, or valued enough or whatever. I don't care what anyone says. If you are doing the best job possible for your team and they leave, then it was meant to be. I, I, I disagree on the, pre- the premise that I've seen exceptional opportunities come to individuals who have got good personal brands. Were they ex- an exceptional employee? Probably not. There's so no loss of yours, is it? No, but I also think that the... the not saying they weren't terrible, not saying they weren't great, but, sure. but, you know, opportunities which you can't compete with yeah. because of the personal brand. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying, and I appreciate my team is small, right? So I'm still yeah. very involved in everyone. However, if someone wants to leave as a result of like, them getting a DM, which, by the way, my team get peppered yeah. within mouths, like peppered, and much higher salaries in, in many yeah. cases for a lot of them, right? But if they're going to leave because they've received an opportunity into their DMs that they've decided is better for them, okay, that's okay. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm not naive to think that they're not going to get those opportunities. But I'm going to do what I can to be the best employer I can be. But I'm not going to be unreasonable. I'm not going to like be like, oh, like, let me offer you more money to stay. No, fuck that. I've got a business to run. This is not a charity. If you want to work for my business, that's great. I think we do an excellent job as an employer. But equally, I want you to be building your personal brand because it makes clout more visible. Like people think we're huge. People think we're like 50, 60 people. We're literally 11 people um, as a result of the fact that they're all building their personal brand. And that's a legacy I'm going to take long after my team have mm. left. Equally, that's a legacy that they're going to take long after they've left clout. So I think it's a mutually beneficial thing. And I think people that are worried about their employees leaving as a result of their personal brand should perhaps look more closely at like what they're doing to make them stay mm as an employee exercise versus a we want to look good externally exercise first. Like, worry mm-hmm. about that after. Do mm-hmm. the internal work first. Well, also, let's, let's take that kind of concept of employee branding as a kind of, I think that's the evolution of personal branding. You yeah, know, absolutely. Because you've got, you know, big companies like Just Eat or big companies like, you know, Delivery Uber, you've got tens of thousands of employees that work there. Yeah. Like, how do you create them to be completely, like, aligned with values, but also being the biggest advocates without it looking fake? That's a really good question, actually. I think the key, there's two ways you can do this. And I think it depends on obviously your industry, but also like what, whether you're floated or not, because there's obviously certain things that you have to be, you know, conscious of when you're posting content. Like if you have external stakeholders that you can't say certain things or you work in an Mm. industry where you're governed by a certain thing, you can't say certain things like accountancy, for example, 
FCA, like there's certain things you cannot say online if you're licensed. Um, I think there's two ways of doing this. One, you can just build out a social media policy that's a little bit like a matrix of, which we have um, and more than happy to give you guys for show notes, but it's like literally a little matrix that goes, does this align with my content pillar? Is this in line with my content pillars? Okay, the posts I want to post, is it in line with my content pillars? Yes or no. If it's no, okay, does it resonate with my audience? Yes or no. If it's no, don't post it. If it's yes, then post it. On the other side, is it in line with my content pillars? Yes. Is it in line with my values? Yes or no. Is it in line with my company values? Yes or no. And I think the thing is about company values is a lot of companies have them, but what do they actually mean? Mm. And I understand that a lot of values come from marketing or internal comms because they think it's something they have to have. But actually what it should be all about is what is the DNA of the business? Because if you're hiring people against your values, you're hiring people who fit within that as opposed Mm. to the culture you're trying to to be, Mm. you're much less likely to come across people that are going to post things online that go against what you believe as a company. Mm. We've only had one instance. And bearing in mind, my team posts once, twice a day, minimum, right? We get 120 million views a year just on the team content, not including like our company content or our clients content or anything, like huge numbers. There's only been one instance where someone posted something that I was like, and I messaged that person. I said, look, I'm not going to tell you to take it down because it's your personal brand. However, this is why I think that this is not in line with this particular value as a company. I'll let you decide what you want to do with it because it's, 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 your, plat- it's your platform at the end of the day. And to her you know, credit, she decided she gave me reasons to why she wanted to keep that post up. And I said, cool, that's your decision. Mm-hmm. End of discussion. <clears throat> but, so you know, it's very different with 11 people. Yeah, completely. I have to acknowledge people. that. So like I've actively heard individuals from a big company to say, okay, what I'm going to do when I'm looking for a job is be very active on LinkedIn. Yeah. To get another job. Yeah. So like how can you, how can big companies utilize workforce for positive without it seeing like company memo going around from marketing being like, hey guys, can you all post on LinkedIn? Okay. So we work with Cummins. We've worked with Skybet, Flutter Group. They all employ thousands of employees. They centralize what the personal branding is for the team and get them to push stuff out that the marketing team has created, but written in a tone of voice where it could be written by someone else. They will create material internally, which is written in a really colloquial tone of voice and that kind of stuff. And then it gets pushed out through um, individuals' channels. Who have been identified as key influencers. Or just everyone. There's different layers to it, right? So it could be things like promotions. It could be um, team days. It could be the fact that Clive, who used to be the um, director of talent there, used to do um, meetings on a bike, right? So he loved cycling like you. So he used to do one-on-ones on bikes, right? And he'd go and pick them up from there and they off they go. And so there's little things like that that are very personal, but you're leveraging that person's network to build the employer brand. And they've got thousands of employees. So I think it's about really understanding about who, to your point about key persons of influence, who, first of all, who's going to do this? Because not everyone's going to do this. Um, Second thing is, what are the outcomes that you're wanting from that exercise? Is it that you need candidates at this level, this level, this level, this level? Okay. So if you need them at these different levels, identify the key people at those levels to be talking about what they're doing in the business and talking about the business and the things that you offer and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't necessarily need to be related to this business is so great because they offer all these benefits. It could be as simple as your intern just doing a vlog once a week. And they'll love that because like Gen Z love TikTok, right? So why wouldn't you want to get them on the channel that they're already using to promote your business? But I've seen some amazing examples of like M&S where like the local stores have just... Yeah, they, they have an amazing strategy. And it's like, that's completely, like that's come from mistake because they've just seen the local stores do it and then they've been like, let them keep doing it. The only thing I'd say about M&S is obviously it's a big company, but people don't realize how... So I started my career at M&S. So their marketing and PR time department is tiny. Yeah. Like literally three people for the food, flowers and wine. There's like two people in fashion. And like what? It's tiny. So actually, whilst the distribution is huge, 
the the, the centralization control of it is so small. Yep. So the, the approval process is therefore much quicker. Everything yep. happens. So yes, that's a great example. But when you're thinking about like much bigger businesses where like they've got a much bigger marketing yeah. department, then it becomes really complicated because they've got regions and blah, 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 blah. We, we used to always talk about giving people empowerment to like let, let the grips go a little bit and yeah. just use the platforms the way they're designed to be used. Have like, fun. Have yeah. fun, yeah. And you know, don't be so, if you're, so, if you're too sensitive about brand, you will not be able to grow because yeah. when it comes to like TikTok is the platform which dictates the influence of the content, not, yeah. not your tone and your brand. So like you just have to like empower people who understand it to be able to do it. Exactly. And I think that's what I've loved with watching some of these examples of like just local stores being like, we'll do it our way. Yeah. And then how the big corporates have reacted. So it's yeah. really, yeah, I think it's a really interesting um, example of like how brands navigate it. It is a trend that I've noticed with more experienced, shall we say, like marketing directors or chief marketing officers or chief revenue officers or anyone who's at the C-suite of a bigger company, they quite often lack the tactical skills to understand why this stuff works because they didn't grow up with the internet as part of their... So because by the time they got into a leadership position, the internet was just coming in, right? Mm. So there is a piece there about like, just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's not going to work. It just means there's a gap in your knowledge. And I think that's something that we can all apply to everything. Like, you know, we were talking about ChatGPT before we started recording. Yeah. There is a huge opportunity there, but there are so many companies that are like, oh, we can't use that. It's like because you don't understand yeah. it. It's not going to replace copywriters. It's not going to replace creatives, but it will replace the grunt work that they're currently yeah. having to put in to facilitate all the information they need to collect to write that blog, to write that article, to write that script or whatever it might be, or create those prompts for your team's Twitter strategy or whatever it might be. So it's all about like where can you learn yeah, more than like being, oh, let's not do that because it's scary. Like, yeah, yeah, the more millennials come into leadership positions in big organisations, in government, in other areas, the better the world's feeling. And I think what's happening is, as you said about ChatGPT, technology is starting to increase rate of innovation. Mm. Yeah. So actually all the people are starting to be out of date in key, certain areas a little bit more quicker. You know, I remember when we first started working at Social Chain, there was no line on the, the budget for social media. It was like, the first conversation we had was like, where does this budget come from? Do they take it from TV? Do they take it from print? And like now you go to big companies, that budget there is there, it's ring fence, you know, it's mm. personal branding budget's probably starting to open up as well yeah. as an actual Yeah, we up. have conversations where like we've got we've put aside this amount of money for yeah. the founder. We're like, great. Yeah. yeah. That's how much it's gonna cost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, you're now starting to see that organizations react to like the market demands and it's made, making it much easier for like you know, to navigate this landscape rather than when we first started. It's like, who, how do we fund this? The next, I think the next couple of years are fascinating because you're getting this kind of great cohort of millennials coming through to the mid-30s. In five years' time, they'll be entering the 40s, they'll be at positions of leadership. And you've got kind of the old guard who are kind of now in positions where if they don't continue to keep up with the rate of change with ChatGPT and AI, they're even going to be more relevant in five years' time. So you're going to get these people coming through who are going to very quickly, you know, much younger age, get into, you know, public listed companies of um leadership teams well we saw it with the tech and in tech innovation right like when facebook first started apple first started um google etc they had these huge leadership teams of really young people because they were the only people that understood that product or understood why people needed that product i do think there's a massive argument to your point here for bigger organizations or smaller organizations but bigger ones that are perhaps like more experienced having advisory boards that sit beneath the board of people within the, the business. They would never be taken seriously. Well, th- well there you go. There's your number one problem. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because we've been talking for the last like 10 minutes about this whole like, not necessarily generational, but like experience piece. Mm. And I do find, and I, I feel like a bit 
ridiculous saying this as a millennial because it makes me sound really biased, but I have found a lot of pushback from, you know, more experienced people. And I have noticed that as more of a sort of closed mindset as opposed to a growth mindset. And I do think a big part of why millennials and below have a growth mindset typically, obviously I'm not saying everyone, but typically because we've grown up with social media. And so we're much more open to seeing different things and learning different things. And and obviously that comes with its downsides too. Like it also means we're exposed to things we don't necessarily want to see. It also means that we're perhaps more disconnected physically and emotionally from people than we ever have before. But I think the upside of social media was this channel that I sort of live in because it's my work. So I don't really use it for the, the play side that I think a lot of, a lot of people unfortunately do. The upside of it is we've been so exposed to everything. We're much more open to be like, yeah, let's give it a go. I think there's a real piece there about like the kind of education piece as well. And there's like that debate is between like the university route and the kind of experience in the industry. And the Phyllis Academy, we're kind of trying to fill the digital skills gap because mm. a lot of people like are learning about marketing, but they're not doing it day to day. So well, my executive, she did a digital marketing course. She did one module on social media. University. Yeah. One for module. Three-year course. Yeah. Well, four if you count the year in industry she did. One year, one module on social media. She also did one module, I think, on strategy. That's it. I did three internships before my university. Or two, sorry, two. And then I did two while I was there. And I learned more. And I did PR and pl- applied communications, which was hilarious. Because when I left university, I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not selling myself to the devil. And here I am with a PR agency. <laughs> um, but I did those internships. And I remember going back into school in September being like, I've learned all this shit. Like, why are you teaching me about this? Yeah. This is bullshit. Yeah. I knew how to like, write a press release three years ago and you're only just yeah. teaching me now. Like, yeah, yeah it's so just behind. So I do think there's a market. And I love that you guys are filling the, the skill gap. I think there's a market for a change in how we view university. Because I do think there's a place for university, yeah. mainly because of the time it gives you and the social skills it gives you mm-hmm. and all, that kind of, all those kinds of Life things. Skills. But you don't learn how to do the thing you want to do in a three-year course. I think there's a play here of like, you do a year and then you fuck off for six years and then you come back and do six months and then you go away. Like, I feel like it needs to be an ongoing thing. It's not just like a plug and play and then you're good. Amelia, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been like a really insightful conversation and I think it's really useful for anyone listening to that from a business point of view, but also from a personal point of view about where you've gone from and your story. Um, So thank you. And don't forget to like, comment and share and if possible subscribe to the Fearless Adventure podcast The Summit. Thank you.